All right, we're going to read together from John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Let's read God's word together. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Well, this is God's holy word. Uh, Let's pray. Our God, we ask now that you would give us the spirit that we would be able to understand and believe what you tell us here. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a very famous passage, and John 3, and in it, Nicodemus approaches Jesus, and Jesus gives Nicodemus a metaphor, and that metaphor is that of the new birth, uh, to be born again. Now, as soon as you read it, You know it's a metaphor. You should know it's a metaphor because in verse 3 when Jesus says, you must be born again, Nicodemus turns and says, do you mean that that I need to re-enter my mother's womb and be born again? And, you know, Nicodemus clearly takes it very literally and Jesus is clearly trying to say to him, this is is something that's not literal, it's spiritual as he puts it. You've got to be of the spirit because the spirit comes from spirit, he says. Now, one commentator on this passage points out that to be born again is a metaphor that's not only known amongst the Christian church, but is really well known actually in popular culture. So in the, both the U.S. and the U.K. at least, and I think it probably goes far beyond that, uh, people know the term born again Christian, this little phrase. And people sing songs about it, and usually, uh, usually, the idea of the born-again Christian in the eyes of the pop culture is that the born-again Christian is the person you're supposed to be scared of. You know, it's the, the born-again Christian is the radical uh, one that's anti-science, that wants to force their beliefs on you. This is the, exactly the type of Christian that you, you want to stay away from. And uh, that's a culture. It's a subculture. It's a view. It's an opinion. It's not at all what Jesus is talking about. But on the flip side, you know, if, if that's the left, then this might be the right, and that's what Christians often think about being born again. The non-Christian world has an opinion of what it means to be born again, but also the Christian world sometimes misses what it means to be born again. 
And in the Christian world, sometimes to be born again is only if you, as a Christian, have had a really radical experience where, you know, you've, you, you're like the Apostle Paul. You got knocked off your horse and blinded by God somehow. And that's not it either, though sometimes God likes to do that. Uh, that's not it either. Actually, Jesus is talking about something different here. And what he's saying here is that at the very center, we all need the Holy Spirit. And here the Holy Spirit can give you what you need, tell you what it is that you need, and show you how to get it. Now that sounds like a three-point outline, and it is. Uh, the Holy Spirit can tell you what you need. He can show you what it is that you need, and then he can tell you how to get it. So let's think about that together. First, the Holy Spirit here, we're told, gives us what we need. Uh, if you look down at verse 7, Jesus says, very, very importantly, you must be born again. And there are two key words there. Uh, the first one is must. You must be born again. And the, the thing that he's telling us is that it is necessary. It's necessary to be born again. And he says, if you want to see the kingdom of God. So if you want to have eternal life, if you want more than Netflix, Netflix binging and healthy bank accounts, if you want to see the kingdom of God, the very thing that a human being was made for, you must be born again. There's a necessity to this. And it says, he says in the same verse that only the Holy Spirit can do that. He says that all of us are born of flesh is the other metaphor that he chooses here. And flesh is not the opposite of uh, the immaterial. It's not talking about the physical at all. But the term flesh, when Jesus and Paul both use it, is a, a term for corruption, and it says, so you're, you're born of flesh, you're born in a state of corruption, and you need water and spirit. And the reason in verse 5 is he chooses water, he attaches a water to this, is because he's saying metaphorically, you actually need to be cleansed of your, your inner corruption, of the guilt and the shame that, that each of us holds inside of us. In our relationship before God, we need to be cleansed of that. And so he says, the only way that that can happen is that you must be born again, which is to be born of the Spirit. Now, that's the must. That's what he says you need. But then the, the second word here that's very important in verse 7 is the you. Who is it that Nicodemus is talking to? And of course, uh, sorry, who is it that Jesus is talking to? Of course, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you must be born again. But in the Greek text that stands underneath this New Testament text we read in English here, it's actually not singular second person, it's plural second person. So it actually says, uh, well, you know, we, you have, Scots do have a word for this sometimes. Some, some people will say use, right? And, but I, I learned recently that in the Northeast U.S., um, people will say yin for the second person plural. That was new to me. I learned that last week. But my own home state and others have the best way of saying this, and it's y'all. Uh, in English, we don't really have the second person plural, but we made it up in, in the southeast U.S., and it's y'all. And, and that's exactly what Jesus says. He's talking in Nicodemus, but he actually says, y'all must be born again. And, and it's plural. And that means that he's talking, of course, to Nicodemus, but he's talking to way more people than Nicodemus. He's talking to anybody who has been born of a woman, says you need to be born again, and that's a big group, all of those born of a woman. He says anybody born of a woman needs to be born again. It's a necessity for everybody, and 
We see in the Gospel of John all sorts of encounters that Jesus has with different types of people, uh, rich and poor, Samaritan, Jew, Gentiles, all different ethnicities. Right after this, he's going to encounter the woman at the well, a very, very different encounter than the one he's having here with Nicodemus. And the point, in some sense, in the Gospel of John is to see that every single one of Jesus' individual encounters is with a very different type of person, socioeconomically, identity, gender, ethnicity. It doesn't matter, really. And that in every situation, whether you're rich or you're really earthy and gritty, you, you need to be born again. You must be born again. And without the Spirit, you can't be cleansed. And without the Spirit, guilt and shame remain. And so we, we've got a big need. Now, let me say this before we move on. Why does Jesus choose this metaphor for Nicodemus? Because what you're going to see if you continue to read through the Gospel of John is that Jesus actually picks different metaphors for the different people he encounters to try to communicate the same ideas to them. But to uh, this man, Nicodemus, he chooses the new birth to be born of water and the Spirit. Nicodemus um, is probably an old man at this point. He's a Pharisee, so he's one of the religious leaders of Israel. He's part of the Sanhedrin, probably one of the head of the Sanhedrin, so the council that ruled over the city of Jerusalem. Uh, he's wealthy, we know that. He's on top of the culture. Everything about him is pretty good in terms of the eye of the standards of the day. If he were alive today, uh, Nicodemus would be the religious public intellectual that you read his opinion pieces every day in the Times, in the Spectator. You know, that, that's who Nicodemus is. He's that kind of a person, and he comes uh, to Jesus, and we know, too, that he respects Jesus. So back at the beginning in verse 1 and 2, he says, we, we recognize that you, Jesus, are the teacher of Israel, of God, and he says, we know, meaning he's representing a faction of rulers that secretly and quietly, you know, he needs to come at night, secretly and quietly, we actually respect you. When all the rest of the Pharisees hate you, we respect you. And he's even willing to call this gritty, earthy, poor man, Jesus, who's only 30 years old, which is in not a respectable age in that culture. He's only 30, and he says, but I say to you, rabbi. And so we know that this man is not only religious, not only a great intellectual, not only a ruler of the land, a governor, not only moral and wealthy, but he has real respect for Jesus. And the reason he's coming to Jesus here. In the middle of the night, uh, it's probably windy. That's why Jesus immediately says the wind blows where it wishes. The wind's blowing, it's dark, and Nicodemus is saying, we respect you, let's make a deal. In other words, we're willing to co-opt you for our cause and say, uh, and work from the inside out. You know, you're, you're the outside in, but we'll work from the inside out to try to get you on the inside. That's what he's saying to Jesus. And Jesus, <laughs> Jesus says, uh, Nicodemus says, you're, you are a teacher, and Jesus says, yet, and you're a teacher, yet you don't know. You don't know how to get into the kingdom of God. You don't know what it means. You don't know what I'm saying to you, but you're, you're a teacher too, Nicodemus, and yet you can't see. And that means, that means, very simply, the point of the passage is, is very simply this. Everybody needs the new birth. Uh, Nicodemus is coming here thinking that moral renovation is enough, that moral transformation. You know, Nicodemus has in, it, in his mind that 
respectability and, and being a good person is enough to see the kingdom of God. And, and what he cannot see is, is what Jesus says, and that's that we don't need moral renovation. We need spiritual transformation from the inside out. And then that, that's for every person, for people like Nicodemus, if you're like Nicodemus today, or if you're much more earthy and gritty than Nicodemus ever has been, you need the new birth. Every single human being needs spiritual transformation, not moral renovation. There are two other passages uh, in John that really play this out. Uh, a lot of times if you read a commentary on the book of John, uh, what the commentator will say is that every single thing that John teaches across his gospel is found in John chapter 1, in the little prologue that we're given from John about Jesus. And part of the prologue, do you remember it, verses 10 to 13 of John 1, it says that many who saw him did not know him. Many of his own refused to believe him. And yet some believed, and those who didn't, did believe, it's not because they were of his blood, it's not because they were religious, but it's because they were born of God. John says that at the very beginning. And then Jesus comes to Nicodemus and says, if you want to see the kingdom of God, it's not because you're bloodline, and it's not because you're religious, but you actually need to be born of God. And then another verse, John eleven ten, wraps it up. It says, it says, if anybody walks in the day, Jesus says, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world in front of him. He sees the light. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. If you walk in the nighttime, you stumble because the light is not in you. You see what it's saying about Nicodemus? He comes at night. And you know what the darkness is? You know what it means to walk in the darkness, according to the book of John? It's when you walk by the darkness of your own morality. That's what it's saying. To, to come at night is to come and say, my moral renovation is sufficient. You know, if I come and say, Jesus, that you're a good teacher, you're respectable, I like you, that that, that should be enough for me. That's, that, Jesus says that's walking in the darkness, not the light. And the light is something completely different from that. And it's that we all need spiritual transformation. We need the new birth. Secondly, um, the Holy Spirit not only shows all of us that we need this, but also what it is. So we, we haven't actually said a single word yet about what the new birth really is. And here in this passage, Jesus and the Spirit show us, show us that. It, it's, not, it's not an evangelical subculture of very, very serious Christians in the eyes of the world. That's not the new birth. That's not to be born again. And on the flip side, it's also not a radical experience of being knocked off a horse, some kind of great testimony. It's not that either. And you can see it instead. I think one of the ways you can see it is in verse 3. Uh, this is one of the strangest interruptions. Jesus does this all the time in the Gospels. He, he interrupts people while they're talking. And this is one of the strangest. Verse 2, Nicodemus had said, Rabbi, You've got to be of God or you couldn't do the miraculous deeds that you've done. And then Jesus responds and says, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. Now, if you think about that carefully, you say, what in the world? How does that connect? Uh, Nicodemus says, you must be of God in some way. And then Jesus turns and says, you can't see anything unless, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And what Jesus is saying there is, how would you know? You see? He's saying, you come and you tell me, I must be of God because you've watched me do some things, some miracles, but how would you know? 
Because you can't judge the things of God. You can't see the kingdom of God unless you've actually been born from the inside out. So how would you know what's of God unless you've been born again? That's what he's saying here. And then that's when he moves on to tell us three things that it means to be born of God, to be born again. Let me give them to you very quickly. The first thing is this, the new birth. The new birth is when the spirit of God gives you new roots. Uh, one pastor put it like this. We've already said it, but it, we need to say it again. It's, it's not moral change. It's getting a new heart altogether. And, of course, that's a metaphor. I think the best way to put it is that he's saying that your heart, your soul, actually needs to be re- up, uprooted and replanted. It's like ripping up an old plant and digging out the rocks in the soil and then putting it back in the ground again. That's the new birth. It's actually when God comes in and uproots your entire identity and replants you again in submission to Jesus Christ. That, that's the new birth. And so he's saying, it's saying, look, it's not that moral renovation is not a good thing. We all recognize that it is. And we love it. We celebrate it when we see people in society undergo deep moral renovation. We want our leaders to undergo deep, deep moral renovation, don't we? All the time, we want that. And those are good, but, but to see the kingdom, that might work sometimes in the kingdom of this world, but to see the kingdom of God, you actually gotta be uprooted and you gotta be completely replanted again. And that's, that's work that only the Holy Spirit, we're told here, can do. Uh, Hopefully, I think this is okay for me to say, but you know, that's why we love, that's why I love at least uh, when babies get baptized. You know, it's wonderful to see a baby baptized, I think. Uh, one of the reasons for that is because babies best illustrate exactly the nature of the new birth and baptism is an illustration of that. You know, how, let me ask you, let me say it like this. How, how many of you contributed to your birth when you were born from, in, from your mother's womb? And you didn't do very much. You didn't do very much. And when a baby's baptized here uh, and the water goes over them, it, it's, it's preaching. It's, it's God actually preaching the same thing. You don't do very much when it comes to the new birth. God does it from top to bottom. You're completely passive. He's completely active. Now, secondly, the new birth is also when the Spirit not only uproots your, your soul and replants you in Christ, but secondly, also when the Spirit gives you a new self or a new identity. And you can see this in verse six. It's, it's kind of wrapped up implicitly that that which is from the flesh is flesh. To just be born of a woman is to be corrupted. It's to be of the flesh because all of us are born in sin. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That which is born of the Holy Spirit becomes spiritual. Spiritual there doesn't just mean invisible realities. It's talking about something else. It's, it's, it's to become spiritual here, and according to the Apostle Paul, is when the transformation of the Holy Spirit work in your heart to uproot you and replant you actually causes you to wake up and have a completely new consciousness and say, I have been born of the Spirit. I, I, I see things differently now. I once, I once was walking in the darkness, but now I see the light. It's, it's a new consciousness. It's a new self. It's a new spirit within you. It's a new identity right down to your heart. And that's why Paul always says, put on the new self that you've become, meaning the Holy Spirit has uprooted you and replanted you as a new, new person. So now be like that new person. Be, put that on. Be that identity. Take it up. Choose it. Chase after it. Um, I don't know. 
all of you, I'm sure, have had this. You've had these moments in your life, the older you are, probably the more you've had, uh, where you, you reach certain ages, certain, certain milestones, and something happens to you, you know, a, a bit of suffering, or a great conversation with a friend, or you read a book, and you walk away, and you turn to your spouse, your friend, whoever it might be, and you say, this really changed my life a little bit. You know, this book I just read, this conversation I had with a friend, or this, this, this health issue I've, I've walked through, I feel different on the other side of it. And we, we call those epiphanies, inspirations, moments of where genius strikes, and you get your life together and you start making your bed, you know, whatever it may be that you need to change about yourself. And, and you, you say, I actually, this year has been better because I've done something different, I've done something better. And it, it's sort of like that, but not really at all. It's not really what we're talking about here. It, the new birth with a new identity, a new consciousness is not an epiphany exactly. It's not uh, moments of inspiration because of great book you read. It's more like saying, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was in the darkness, but now I'm in the light. It, it's a complete, completely new identity and one grounded in saying, I once was against God, but now I'm under God. I'm his servant. I'm in submission. Now, thirdly and finally, uh, it's not only a new root, it's not only a new consciousness, a new identity, but it's also a new hope. And you see this very clearly in verse 3 and all the way at the bottom, verse 15. Uh, Jesus says in verse 3, if you're born again, you can see the kingdom of God or vice versa, the negative. If you're, if you're not born again, you can't see it. And if you're born again, that means you can see the kingdom of God. And then you jump all the way to the end, verse 15. Whoever believes has eternal life. Now that, that means lastly, that the new birth is not about the new birth. You know, the, the point of the new birth is not the new birth. You don't get the new birth to have the new birth. <laughs> you, the new birth, Jesus says, is so that you could see the kingdom of God. That's the point of it. The new birth is so that you can, quote, have eternal life. It's not about itself. It's about something else. And that's getting that thing which you were made for, which we, which we desire in our inner selves all the way to the bottom, the kingdom of God or eternal life. And that means that Jesus is saying clearly here that all of us, when we're born into this world, are born into a kingdom. That's how the Bible puts it, that there's two kingdoms. Remember what they are? They're the kingdom of this world, as Paul says, and the kingdom of God. And they're in contrast. They're in antithesis, as we say in theology. They're, they're, against, they're against one another. And Augustine, the great bishop of Hippo in the fourth and fifth centuries, uh, one of the great church fathers, he, he wrote a very big book called The City of God. And in The City of God, he says that all of us, if you're a Christian today, you're part of two cities, but all of us are at least part of one. And he calls it the city of man and the city of God. The city of man is, is the life under the flesh. It's the corrupted life. It's the life in sin, shame, and guilt. It's the life where we're born into this world shaking our fists at the living God. And even though God says yes to us throughout history, we say no to him. And that's the city of man. And, and Jesus says here that the point of the new birth is actually citizenship, a transfer of citizenship from the city of man to the city of God so that you might see the kingdom of God 
and have eternal life. Uh, in, in the Greek text that stands un- underneath this English text, the word eternal life, it's actually very important. The, the, world, the word eternal life is actually literally the age of life in Greek. And it's been being translated this way ever since the King James in, in the early 1600s. Eternal life is very li- literally the age of life. And when you read it like that, you realize what he's saying. That every time the New Testament says to you, you can have eternal life, it's saying you can live in an age and a space and a kingdom that is not under death, but life. A space where you don't die, a space where there's no disease, death, and disaster, a space where we don't have to pray for Florida anymore or Indonesia because there is no death, disease, and disaster. That's what the age of life means. It's not floating around in the sky. It's not being spiritual in the ethereal sense, not at all. It's the kingdom that God brings into the world in resurrection hope. It's not death, it's life. And that's actually the point of the new birth is to see the kingdom of God, which is to see the living God in the age of life. Now, before we move on very briefly to the the last thing, let me say that Jesus summarizes that entire picture, that entire theology in verse five by saying, you need to be born of water and spirit. And a, a lot of times people will come to this verse and say, does that mean that the way I get in is to be baptized, to be born of water, to be, to, to be baptized? And some people have come and said that, but that, look, that's not, what's, that's not exactly what's happening here. Baptism is a sign of this, but it's not this. And instead, what's happening here is Jesus is actually alluding to, every New Testament scholar affirms this, <laughs> alluding to Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, where actually the Old Testament preached the same exact message. And here's what the Old Testament says. God pronounces Through Ezekiel, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all of your your uncleanliness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and the new spirit I will put within you. There it is right there in the New Testament. The very next chapter after 36 is 37. And that's just basic, that's basic mathematics, right? 36 and then 37. And in 37, you've got, You've got the Spirit of God coming into the valley of dry bones and bringing dead bones to life again. And so you see, Jesus is just preaching here from Ezekiel 36 and 37 and saying that you, you need to have cleansing, you need to have your sins forgiven from the inside out and only the Holy Spirit can do that. And that's the new birth. That's what it means to have your bones come from death to, to life. Now, lastly, how do you get it? Okay, if you've been listening carefully, some of you have, you know, maybe. Um, if you've been listening, maybe you've thought about something. And that's this, that Jesus is saying that we all need the new birth. And at the same time, he's saying only the Spirit can do it. You need the new birth, but only the Holy Spirit can give it to you. And the wind blows where it wishes, metaphorically. The Holy Spirit does what he wants to do. You don't have, you can't capture him. You're not in control, he's in control. And so it it feels like Jesus is saying, you know, you need to kind of sit around and hope beyond hope that the spirit decides to blow over you. Otherwise, you're not gonna see the kingdom of God. And there's a register 
of, of reality that that's true. But there's another register, the one on earth that Jesus also speaks to. And that's found also almost in this passage. You know, you can never pit John 3, 8, that the wind blows where it wishes against John 3, 16. And it's no coincidence that if we were to read one more verse after John 3, 15, that it would say, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe will not perish, but have the kingdom of God, have that eternal life. And so you can never say, well, John 3, 8, there's nothing, there's nothing for me to do because then you've got John 3, 16 and they're put together. And that means, yes, the wind blows where it wishes. You, you cannot have the new birth unless, unless the spirit comes. And then Jesus turns around and says, if you will believe, then you have the new birth. And both of those things are true at the exact same time. Now, the way, he, the way he spells that out, and this is the last word, the way he spells that out is at the very end of the passage. What are you to do today? Well, this is what he says very strangely. He tells Nicodemus, you know, you can't see the things of God actually. You can't judge them, Nicodemus, because only the one who's ascended into heaven and descended and back and forth actually sees both things above and below rightly at the same time. And of course, he was talking about himself. He said, there's only one who actually sees the spiritual and the earthly in the correct way. And he was saying, and it's me. And then in verse 14, he gives this very strange line, playing off the word ascension that he's just mentioned. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. And you, you see what he's doing there? He's, he's saying two completely different things, but connecting them. He's saying... Only the man who came from heaven can tell you rightly about things in heaven and on earth. And that's the son of man. That's how he identifies himself. But then he says, look for the ascension. Because just like in Numbers 21 in the wilderness, when that serpent was lifted up on a pole, that's the ascension you need to look for, Nicodemus. If you want to be born again, you need to look for an ascension and yes, I am the man who has descended and will ascend, but you need to look for a different ascension. And that's the one where like Numbers 21, I will be lifted up. Now in Numbers 21, Israel had been bitten by a bunch of poisonous snakes. And God in a very, very strange passage says to them, take these dead serpents and stick them on a pole and put it up. And if you look at it, I will relieve you. I will take away your, your deadly poison. And it's a very strange thing, very strange for us modern people to try to understand. But, but what was happening that moment is he was saying this, that if you, if you look up and see uh, the, the, that the substitute, something lifted up as representative death, and you lift your eyes and cast your eyes onto it, that it can be representative death in your place. And Jesus comes and he says, that's me. Nicodemus, if, if you want new life, you need to look for the ascension. And the ascension, as John puts it, is when the Son of God is lifted up. And he is lifted up. He, you, know, you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I'm the snake. And you say, but Jesus, you're perfect, you're righteous, you're holy. And he's saying, yeah, but I'm gonna become everything you are. I'm gonna be lifted up. I'm gonna take the poison. You know, I'm gonna be lifted up like that deadly serpent because he who knew no sin became sin. He became poisoned for you. 
And that's the proclamation to Nicodemus. That's the John 3.16 message. That if you believe in the Son of Man lifted up, you can have eternal life. Now, let me read to you all the way from John 19 as we, as we close here. And in John 19, starting in verse 38, this is what we're told. After these things, after the death of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea, who was the disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he could take away the body of Christ and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and he took away Jesus's body to bury it. Verse 39, Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about 75 pounds in weight. And they took the body of Jesus and they bound it and they buried it. Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, this rich Gentile, he, he buried the body of Jesus, but he wasn't by himself. And we're told that Nicodemus came and helped him. Now, you know what this means? You know what I think this means? <laughs> this was a great public act that Nicodemus did. When all the Pharisees said, crucify him, Nicodemus, I think he lifted up his head and he saw and he said, this is what he was talking about. The son of man lifted up. For me, for me, this is how he said, whoever believes can have the kingdom of God. And then he saw it, he saw it. And that's why he's saying, I will bury this man. I, I love him, he's mine and I'm his. He believed and he, that's why he's buried. You know what else, you know what else? This was Friday and the next day was Saturday and Saturday is the Sabbath. And Nicodemus is a Pharisee and there is one thing that you cannot do if you want to enter the temple of God on the Sabbath day, and that's touch a dead body the day before. Strict Pharisaical code, part of the Torah, part of the Old Testament. And Nicodemus throws his hands up and he grabs this dead body. And I think he knows, I think he knows that it's not gonna be dead for long. He believed, and so let me invite you today. <laughs> Christian or not, wherever you are today, Today is the day of faith. That's what Sundays are for. They're the day of renewal, the day of faith. Come and believe. And if you believe, if you've lifted up your head and looked at him and you said, that is my God, that is my king, then you can know that you will see the kingdom of God and you do have eternal life. Take hold of that life today. And that means you're born again. And that's an invitation. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now, that you would give us faith, help our unbelief. And so may the Holy Spirit blow across this, this space and be powerful to our hearts. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.